And so as I said, uh, we're going to dive into the Word of God this morning. And uh, we're in this series called The Equipped Church. Uh, and it's really this series of taking a deep dive into Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, why are we doing this? Firstly, because we really sense the heart of God that He wanted us to preach from this passage. Um, but secondly, because this is an important passage for our church. Uh, along with Matthew 28, which is go into all the world and make disciples, uh, Ephesians 4 helps us. Those two passages help us fulfill the vision of this house, which is, it's going to come up on the screen, to build a house focused on making disciples who wholeheartedly follow Jesus in all areas of life. And so as you can see, this is why we've landed on the name Disciple House, because we want to build a house, build a family of God, build a church that would be focused on making disciples. And so Matthew 28 gives us the mission. It tells us what to do. But Ephesians 4, which is what we're focusing on today and in this series, it tells us how we are to do that, specifically through the context of the local church. So we're going to read Ephesians 4 again. We're going to start in verse 11. And it says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What an amazing passage of scripture, right? It, honestly, for me, as I've, as I've been preparing and I'm thinking about future messages, I'm like, no, 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 don't say that today. Just kind of stay focused, stay here, stay in the here and now. Just realizing how rich this passage is, and it's only uh, five verses or so. Uh, it's rich because it is layered with both a vision and an application. There's like a there's a there's a there's a desire in God's heart, but it's not just kind of left to itself. There's an application that we see within this passage as well. And then it leads us to this beautiful picture of what could be in verse 16, so that it makes the body grow, that's you and me, so that it builds itself up in love. It's this amazing vision, picture, description that is richly described and layered. And so uh, to refresh us and to actually break down these five verses, because this, uh, there's, there's so much interplay between three groups of people. Uh, there's so many callbacks between other verses within this passage that we've just read. I actually uh, wrote out a bit of a Venn diagram to kind of visually describe what's going on here. If we could put that up on the screen. And so this is the church that is described in Ephesus chapter 4, and uh, this is, maybe you've seen this before, heard of this before. If we just go to the next one, this is going to give us a bit of a zoom in. So we see here that firstly, 
Jesus is the head of the church. We read that in the scripture, right? He's the head of the church. Uh, but in verse 7 of this passage, which we didn't read, and I'll, it's not going to come up on the screen. I'll just read it now. But grace was given to each one of us. And in verse 10, it says, And he who descended, Jesus, is the one who ascended, Jesus, he's far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And when you deep dive into what those words actually mean, it's talking about all of us, that all of us are filled with a grace gift. But there's three groups of people that uh, help build up the body of Christ. The first person is Jesus, all right? The first person is Jesus. He's why we're here. He's, he's how we're even able to be here in grace, in mercy, in forgiveness because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus gives grace to church leaders, right? And we explored that in verse 11. It says uh, that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the church for good works of ministry. Remember that, right? And so there's this transaction between Jesus and church leaders that he gives them grace, meaning a gift or meaning a strength and ability. That's what that word grace means there in that passage. It's not referring to the grace that we receive when we have forgiveness. It's the extended grace. It's the next grace that God gives us gifts to minister to people. You with me? So he gives church leaders grace to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But Jesus also gives grace to every single one of us to do ministry. Are you here? That there's actually we all receive gifts. And and whether you are a church leader called to be a pastor or an apostle or a teacher, a prophet or an evangelist, your gift is to build up the body. And whether you're a saint, which is all Christians, your job also is to receive a gift from God to build up the body. Are you with me here this morning? It's actually all working. And this is why I say the word beautiful. It's this beautiful picture of of saints working with Jesus and church leaders working with Jesus and church leaders and saints working together with the common goal of building up the body. And so what happens when, if when church leaders don't just build churches for themselves, but build churches to equip people, there's this beautiful exchange when saints realize I'm not just here to attend a service, I'm not just here to tick off a box, but I'm here to serve people. I'm here to serve Jesus and serve others in the body. And there's actually this extension of grace between church leaders and saints that church leaders extend the grace that God has given them by equipping the saints for the work of ministry, but that the, the believers, the Christians, extend grace by submitting to what the church leaders have to say. Now, that is not a popular thing to say in our culture. But here's the thing. Do you see how, and this is, I was trying to, how do I describe this? How do I show this? It's all three elements working together for the common good of the body being built up. And so the reason that a Christian submits to first Jesus and then secondly church leaders is because this is how God wants his church to function. This is the blueprint that he has given us. Are you with me? And so we actually both extend grace. And and, and at times, uh, if you've been hurt by church or disillusioned by church, maybe some church leaders haven't 
uh, lent into an equipping heart, more of a heart that like, here, build my kingdom, help me do this, help me do that. We can be kind of reserved in, in coming under. But when the heart is pure, when the heart just wants to equip people to then have the saints do work of ministry and the church leaders do a work of ministry, the body is built up. And so Jesus isn't, isn't out of the picture, by the way. He's constantly helping us at the same time as well because people can't heal people. Jesus heals people. We, we can't get revelation out of the word unless the Spirit of God speaks to us. And so we can't have a separate element. It's, it's not going to work. It's not going to function. And so what happens is when all three people understand their grace, Jesus fully understands his grace. It's more about us understanding what we're meant, what we're meant to do. When all three work together, the body is built up. And the exact Greek words that Paul is using here is actually using construction terms to show that the the church is strong, that it's sturdy, that it can withstand seasons, that it can help itself, that it's it's a point and a place of strength. And so what are the fruits? And we read all of these words come out of the exact passage that we just read out. Uh, We read that at the end, this amazing picture of Love, that we're loving each other. We're, as Christians, we're loving Jesus, church leaders loving Jesus, and church leaders and saints loving each other. It's this amazing interplay of us really just building towards love, building towards truth, that all of us are hungry for truth, that we're also hungry to mature in Christ, that we're hungry to serve Jesus and one another, and that because of that, When there's love and there's grace and there's service, there's unity. And when there's truth around what we believe and what we stand for, there's this beautiful unity that takes place. And then, uh, yeah, we're growing and we are unified. Now, if I could put one more circle within the circle of the the, the body there and, and not ruin this beautiful Venn diagram. Really, love is actually at the core of everything. And you might say, no, Jesus is at the core of everything. Jesus is love. It's, it's who he is. We didn't make up love. It's, it's who he is. And so at the core of even that, right in the center, what is sustaining everything is love. Jesus' first love for us, church leaders hearing the call to love and build up the church and saints realizing that church isn't just about them attending, but it's about them participating in this beautiful picture of the body being built up together. And when I say body, I mean a few things. Yes, I mean the church, the organization. But more than that, it's the people. The body is us. We, we're not a body when we just gather in a building. Next week, or in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to the park. The body is just going to move to another physical location. We're all still there together. Are you with me? And so this is the picture that uh, this passage, this passage um, paints. And so when, this, when a church functions this way, it understands truth, it grows in maturity, it grows numerically, it is unified, and even Paul specifically states that it's functional, that it's actually working properly, that each part is moving according to how it's need, needing to be moved, and it's built upon this whole goal of loving Jesus, loving believers, and loving and, uh, and loving church leaders. And so today, what I want to do is I actually want to focus on one of the fruits or one of the things that is built up in the body. And I want to talk about maturity. I want to talk about growing in maturity in Christ. Immaturity is a wall we've all hit 
at one point in our life. And I'm not just talking about our walk with Jesus. In general, we've all hit that wall where our immaturity isn't matching up to the, the space that we're in or the season that we're in. And it's a brick wall we hit and we realize, that, hey, I need, I need to grow up. I need, to, I need to get more mature. I need, I need to kind of work on myself. And we've all hit that. And obviously, it's mostly highlighted during our childhood uh, and adolescent years and even our young adult life. Uh, but who knows that maturity doesn't necessarily come with age. That maturity isn't dictated by the amount of times that we go around the sun. That maturity actually has to be this thing that we desire and that we actually work on. And so uh, when I turned 18, the kind of the, the perceived age of maturity, now that you're you know legally an adult, but we all know that like, you just got to, you know, young adults have this phrase at the moment, like adult life, hashtag adult life. And like, I'm just, I'm just paying my phone bill, hashtag adult life. You know, like suddenly mum and dad were paying my bill, but now I'm paying my bill, adult life. And so it's this whole journey of uh, maturing. For me, when I was 18, I actually decided to move out of home and I lived with some friends. And these guys were a little bit older than me. And I quickly realized that even though I had the age of maturity, I wasn't yet mature enough to live out of home. And if you've ever kind of moved out of home, those first few months can be a bit weird because you actually begin to realize and appreciate what your parents have done for you instead of you being that teenager just like, get out of my life, I don't want to do And so uh, I was with these people and uh, they'd asked me to just do one simple thing. Can you just take care of the gardens? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. no worries, no worries, no worries. And like a week went by and two weeks went by. And three weeks went by and I was busy hanging out with friends and busy playing playing at COD and just, you know, doing all the things and busy at church, like really holy, like busy at church. And I was just neglecting this one request from these people in this house that had let me rent for, for actually pretty much nothing. And they actually sat me down one day and said, hey, like this, this needs to happen or, or you need to go. You, you actually need to, need to move out. And I quickly realized that I needed to work on my maturity because my maturity wasn't matching the environment or my maturity wasn't matching up what was expected of me now that I was in this new season. Come on, who agrees with me that uh, it's not about the amount of times we go around the sun that equates maturity. It's actually got to be this thing that we're constantly working on our character. We're working on our actions. We're working on our capacity. And so uh, just like it is in the natural, so it is in our supernatural walk with Jesus. Just because you've done years with Jesus doesn't mean that you are mature in Christ. It, it, it actually doesn't equate to that. Just because you may have been in thousands of church services, and I have, let me tell you, it doesn't mean that you are actually a mature believer in Jesus. Being in an environment or going around the sun multiple times doesn't dictate your maturity. Your maturity is dictated on your ability to put the work in, to actually grow up, to, to, to work on yourself and hunger after God. And Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spiritually, when talking about emotional and spiritual maturity, says this, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. And uh, who at times has felt like that? You know, that like, man, I'm, I'm here, I've been following Jesus, but I keep 
seeming to go around the same problem, the same issue over and over again. I'm like, yes, God, I should pray. No, 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 I fall back into old habits. Oh, we hit another brick wall. Okay, I got to pray again. And we, we just go around and around in circles as we go on this journey with Christ. And while this is funny, and honestly, when I read that for the first time, I was like, there are certain areas in my Christian walk that, yeah, I've, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a 22-year-old Christian just kind of going around the same thing over and over again. Sadly, while this is a funny description of, 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 of maybe where people are at, I actually believe it's an accurate picture of the state of the church. That sadly, many people's walk with Christ is like that. It's just, it's, 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 we grow up a little bit and then we actually don't take that next step into maturity. Uh, sadly, that many people haven't been challenged or haven't had the revelation that maturity is a big deal to God when it comes to us walking with Him. How do I know this? The Bible is full of verses uh, that I don't, don't have time to go into today that speak on not being children in the faith, but being mature in our faith. But specifically here in Ephesians 4, it teaches us that one of the goals of His church as Jesus, church leaders and saints work together is that it would birth maturity in every single believer, saints and church leaders alike. And so this is one of the goals. This is one of the hearts of Jesus, that His people would be mature. But before we kind of dive into what that looks like and how we apply that to our life, there's one more thing that I need to mention. We need to remember the kind of context as to what Paul was speaking into here. Uh, because Paul isn't just speaking into the individual, on the individual level in, in terms of maturity. He's actually t- also talking about maturity at a corporate level. And there's this interplay and this, and this change of language as we read this passage. And so one more time, we're going to read Ephesians 4 again and begin to decipher and pick out, is God talking about individual maturity or is he talking about corporate maturity? Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, they're the church leaders, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, so that's, that's individual saints, of course, also a collective of saints. For the building up of the body of Christ. So now we're talking corporately. So the church leaders are meant to equip individual saints with their individual gifts and spiritual talents that God has given them. Not so that saints keep it to themselves, but that they build up the body. Are you with me? Moving on, verse 13. Until, this is the time period that this, that this method lasts. We do all this until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Paul's talking here corporately. Uh, this, uh, this word here, mature manhood, is a Greek phrase basically of the elite Greek man. In some translations, when you read them, uh, instead of saying just brothers or just men, they'll say brothers and sisters. But every translation here doesn't make that distinction. It actually specifically says this phrase because Paul's using what was normal to him and what surrounded him to kind of communicate that we want to be built up into the fullness of Christ. And at that time, the elite person on earth was the Greek physical physique, the, the where the Olympics kind of started, kind of picture that. That's what Paul's trying to say here. So he's actually talking corporately here. Moving on to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. 
individual level, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up individual in every way into him who is the head into Christ corporately, from whom the whole body corporately joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part individual is working properly, makes the body corporate grow so that it builds itself up in love. So you see this picture. Paul's saying individual believers need to work on their maturity And then once they do that, they come and bring that into the body of Christ and the corporate body, the body of Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ becomes this place of maturity so that it can do amazing things in the community. And so why? Why why does Paul chop and change between individual and corporate maturity? Why? Because you can't have one without the other. You can't have individual maturity without corporate maturity. You can't have corporate maturity without individual maturity. Maturity is built in the life of the, in the, of the individual believer corporately. Why? If we go back to that graph, the fivefold are there, are there to equip people into all truth, into the knowledge of Jesus. But also, you can't have corporate maturity unless you have a bunch of mature individuals. And so you actually can't have both separate. It's both and at the same time. And this is also why you can't uh, be a mature believer unless you're in the house. And I know a lot of people who actually in their pride say, no, no, I'm past church. I have graduated church. I'm beyond that. Mm, No, that's not the truth. Because if you're not in the church, you're actually not in the body of Christ. And so that is a mistruth. And if you were in church, you would hear the truth and know that you're meant to be a part of some sort of community of faith. To take it to deeper to another level, on the individual level, maturity is for your personal sake. It's actually God's heart for you that you would be mature. Why? Uh, as we read in that verse, that you know the truth and that you won't be deceived. That's what verse 14 says that you individually would know the truth so that you can't be deceived, so you don't fall into sin, so that you don't fall into temptation, so that you don't build your life on lies, but you build your life on truth. Cheeky plug for our Connect series that we're going through right now. So why does God want you to be mature at an individual level so that you know truth, that you're not deceived, but so that also you can personally display the fullness of Christ to others in your world. It's not just the church's job to preach the gospel. It's everyone's job to preach the gospel wherever we find ourselves, sometimes with words, sometimes in heart and deed. At the corporate level, why do we need to mature? We personally work on our own uh, maturity from the knowledge we receive corporately so that together we are a healthy body that is able to bless and serve each other who loves it when they go to church and they're served who loves it when they go to church and they come out feeling man that was I feel blessed I feel like I'm floating on a cloud because I've been with the saints and I've been in the presence of God God wants maturity in his house so that it would be a hospital for us to come into 
and be released and be whole and be healthy. And we don't just check in the hospital once a month. It's every week. We check in. We come in. We receive great teaching, amazing worship that blesses each other. We have fellowship. We, we, we commune with each other. We share our pains. We share our, our highs and our lows. And we're blessed because we're not doing it by ourselves, but we're doing it with people. You know, you can't celebrate your birthday by yourself. It's, it's something when you celebrate it with people. And so you want to celebrate life, not on your own, but you want to celebrate it in community. And also so that the fullness of Christ can be displayed to the world through the church. And sadly, at the moment, we're not doing a good job of that, specifically in the Western church. Uh, to be honest, I feel like God's doing a real deep work and cleansing in the church. And we're seeing all of this sort of stuff come out. And it's, it's not even just one denomination, it's cross-denominational. And it's all come out of the season of, that we've gone through with COVID. And, and God is using that to bring about stuff and bring his church back to the place that he wants it to be. And how do we know where God wants his church to be? We read the word. And we base our structure and we base our desires and we base our growth and we base our heart on what the Word of God says. Not off some sort of idea of man. We stick to the structure that has stood the test of time. We, we hang on this. Everything hangs on what God's Word says. And so this is why, and you might be like, Sam, this is a lot of Bible. No, no, this is the manual that we're going to build this church on. And we want to unpack the blueprint that God has for this house so that it would grow healthy, so that God's blessing and favor would be upon this house. And so you can argue this, that if we're not individually mature and if we're not corporately mature, you can argue that the effectiveness of a church, uh, sorry, you can argue that the effectiveness of a church's ability to reach the community hangs on its level of maturity. That if we don't have personal maturity in Christ, if we don't have corporate maturity, it actually holds us back from being able to reach and bless our community. Maturity will reach the community. It, it will. As we grow in maturity and understanding in Jesus, as we grow in maturity and understanding of what the body is and what it's meant to do, it's going to bless this community in Jesus' name. And so this is why, to answer the question, why maturity is such a big deal to God. At the individual level, he cares that you would, you would know the truth, that you would be set free. But corporately, he cares that his body would be a place of health, that it'd be a place of blessing, that not only Christians, but, but also people who don't believe can come in and not feel judged and not feel unloved, but feel accepted and loved and, and brought into the kingdom of God. And so if maturity isn't something that is a guarantee with time, and if it is also a big deal to God, I guess the question this morning is this, how do I grow in maturity? And what does maturity in Christ look like? Five really quick practical points this morning. Number one, maturity starts with me. Maturity starts with me. Hebrews 5 says this, 11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Paul's not holding back here. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles, oracles meaning the word of God. You need milk, not solid food, 
kind of a callback to infancy. You're not ready. We're just transitioning Caden to solids, and he's only just become ready for that. Paul's saying, you believers aren't ready for meat. You aren't ready for solid food. You still need milk. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers and the discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And the next chapter, that this is the last verse of that chapter. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. Therefore, picking up from the idea that he's just spoken about, let us leave the elementary or basic doctrine of Jesus and go on to maturity. So Paul's saying to this, these people, um, hey, come on, I'm sick of giving milk. You, you ought to be teachers of the word of God, but you still need to be taught. And, the, the, this, and he actually lays on this, this kind of command, this, this kind of decree Work on your maturity in Christ. And how do we do that? I really highlighted that in verse 14. By constant practice. It's not on the church for you to grow in maturity. It is that we would preach maturity, that we wouldn't just preach some parts of the word. We preach the whole word. But it's then on you to go home and do the homework. To, to, to be with God, to read the word, to, to pray. There it is, comes up every message. Read the word, pray, worship. This is how we grow in maturity. Maturity in Christ is not a guarantee or an inheritance when we receive salvation. Does a gym membership make you fit? No, it just gets you in the door. When you have the gym membership and you go in and not stand there and do nothing and scroll, but when you get in there and you actually do the work, you get fit. A gym membership ain't going to make you fit. It's just going to make you less rich. It's just going to deplete those finances. But when we use that gym membership, it actually enables us to be fit. And it's the same with our journey in Christ. We have membership, salvation, but we actually need to do the work of maturity sanctification so that we can become mature in Christ. Maturity first starts with me. It's a conviction that only I can make. Sam, I can't make it for you. No one else can make maturity up for you. It's got to be a desire that you actually want and desire. Number two, maturity is the fullness of Christ. One of the questions that comes with maturity is how do you measure it? How do you know what maturity is? What is the standard? And in our everyday life, uh, psychologists will tell us that character, how we speak, actions, and knowledge that's applied through wisdom, shown through our actions, our character, and how we speak, kind of shows where someone is in that level of maturity. And normally when we use this kind of model, we measure maturity by comparing ourselves to others. Like I'm more mature than this person, but I'm not as mature as this person. And so I'm climbing this ladder to become like this person, whilst we're also saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm more mature than these people. You know, I don't want to hang out with them because they're not as mature than me. You know, like it's it's actually prideful. And so that is kind of the world's standard, the world's basis of what we measure maturity on. And as believers, we, we, yes, we take those measurements, character, how we speak, actions, but we put it through the lens of Christ. And so what is maturity? Jesus. 
full stop. The beginning and end of, of maturity, what we're striving for, what we're pushing towards is Jesus. What is, uh, who is our greatest example? Jesus. How do we measure maturity? Jesus is our measure. And so as believers, we both use the measure and we strive towards the fullness of Christ. Let's read verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of God, until we all attain to mature manhood, to the measure, it's our measuring stick, of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be children. What is maturity? What does it look like in the Christian life? How well do you look like Jesus? How much do you sound like Jesus? How much do you love like Jesus? How well do you act in every single environment that you go into like Jesus? That we've not got masks on, that we take on and off when we go into different environments. That's maturity. When we're this person in one environment, when we're another person in another environment, that is immaturity. We're playing games. No, we're just, Jesus is the standard. And I'm going to keep following him. He's the beginning and end of maturity. Let's put this into practice. What does a mature character look like? Not the person next to you, not the person at work, not, not even your grandfather that you're really, or grandmother that you really want to strive to be like. And, and that's amazing. Maturity is Jesus. That, that's the ultimate character. What, is, um, what does a mature tongue look like? Jesus. What does, uh, uh, what does our actions look like? We need to ask ourselves, do my actions look like Christ? What is the basis of knowledge and truth? Christ. And so therefore that dictates where we're going, what we're striving towards. Kind of going to another level really practically, what does a mature marriage look like? Christ and his relationship with the church. Actually in Ephesians, let's have a look here. Chapter 5, Paul uses the picture of Christ being the groom and the church being the bridegroom to show us a picture of what marriage is meant to look like. And so again, Christ is the goal when it comes to our marriages, not, not maths. Oh my goodness, that is not the standard. That's, like, that's right down there, almost at the pit of hell. Um, what does mature love look like? It looks like Christ. That's what mature love looks like. What does a mature life look like? Christ. What does a mature use of our time look like? How Christ would have used his time. What does a mature use of our finances look like? how Christ would have used his finances, and so on, and so on, and so forth. Who are we striving towards? Who, who are we pursuing? We're pursuing Jesus when we want to grow in maturity. You're with me this morning. Number three, what does maturity look like? How do we do it? Number three, we're actively a part of the body. We're actively a part of the body. How do we grow in maturity? Well, in part, we grow in maturity by being actively a part of the body. Why? If we, if we could flip back to the graph again, bro, that'd be awesome. Remembering that this is, this is God's heart, this is God's plan, that Jesus would give grace to the church leaders to equip the saints, not just in what they do, but also in truth. And so you actually can't grow into maturity unless you are in the body. You can't. Why? This is what this passage says. I'm not up here as a pastor today trying to just hold the sheep in and don't leave and don't ever go. You, you, you just can't. You cannot grow into maturity 
unless you are a part of the body. Why? Because Jesus is the body. And church leaders are the body. And you are the body. And when you actually separate yourself from the body, you're almost in a way separating yourself from what God wants for you, that you would be in this blessed, amazing, mature community. And that's why that community, that body that you're a part of, needs to be loving. It needs to be unified. It needs to be mature because you can't grow in an environment that's not doing that. Are you with me? And so you need to be a part of the body. We, we see that in verses 15 and 16. Let's read them quickly. Rather, speaking the truth in love, that's what church leaders need to do. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, thrown back to our individual gifts and talents. And this is the kicker here. When each part, when each person, when each believer is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it can build itself up in love. Okay, so how do you actively be a part of the body? Three quick things. Number one, being a part of a church community. You're in church today? Tick, bang. You're in. That's great. That's step one though. Step two, serving others in that church community. Serving others through your love, serving others through your care, serving others through your listening ear, serving others through putting on amazing food for us. Thank you, Kez. It's going to serve me greatly after I finish preaching this morning. Serving others through our gifts and our abilities and our talent, both in the natural and in the spirit as well that God brings to us. There are things as your pastor that I can't do because I'm not graced to do it. I'm not the bill on the end all. And this actually speaks into kind of how we have been building churches for the last 50 years. It's the couple and they're the ones and they do everything. And it's like, that's not healthy because the body's not doing what it's meant to do as well, the gift that God has given them. And lastly, it looks like you making disciples. That's the fullness of Christ. Matthew 28, the fullness of Christ. He finishes his complete work with his disciples. And it's not full stop. He says, come on, keep doing what I've asked you to do and go make disciples. That's why we're here today, because those 12 obeyed those words. And the story goes on. Second last one, what does maturity look like? How do we attain it? Truth, truth. Maturity is the ability to distinguish between good and evil, lies and truth. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. And he gives an example, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind, leaning into this picture of a boat again of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, Paul's writing to a people that don't have the complete Bible yet. Specifically, they don't have the complete New Testament yet. And so at that time, it was, it was like, when's the next letter arriving? We, <laughs> please, we, we need it. Uh, but for us, we are so blessed because we have this here and now today, the Bible. But we still have deceitfulness going on. We still have crafty, uh, crafty things that, that, that the enemy, again, cheeky plug into our Connect series, that the enemy is behind to try and fuel us and take us away from truth. Why? Because the enemy knows that when believers know truth, they're going to grow into maturity. And when they grow into maturity, the body's going to be blessed and that the community is going to be blessed by the good message of Jesus. And so truth is a brilliant measuring stick to know whether someone is mature in Christ or not because they can distinguish between good 
and evil. And what is truth? Who is truth? It's Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Hebrews 5 again. About this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though this time you ought to be teachers, you need uh, need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need not milk, but uh, you, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so how do we know whether someone is growing in maturity in Christ? They're not constantly falling in the pit of evil, but they're striving towards the goal of goodness, and that's Jesus. Lastly this morning, uh, how do we attain maturity? What does maturity look like? Maturity, once it's all complete, ultimately looks like love. Maturity is ultimately expressed by your love, your care, your concern, and your service for others. Verse 15, Ephesians 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know that in the natural, the greatest way that you know someone is mature is that they're not constantly thinking about themselves, but they're actually thinking about others. And when you receive that, you're like, man, I feel blessed whenever I'm with that person. But when you're with people who just think the world of themselves, you come away kind of depleted. You're like, there wasn't really an exchange there. It was just kind of them. And I was in the room, but there wasn't really a connection. And so, so it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit as well, that believers, as we come together, one of the goals is that we would arrive at a loving community as we, both as church leaders and saints, worship and love Jesus. And Jesus loves us by pouring grace upon us. The body begins to build and it builds itself up in love. And again, what is love? What's the measurement of love? It's definitely not what our culture is saying. It's Jesus. Jesus is love, First John teaches us.